Well, the scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 1. We're starting a new series of sermons on the idea of Sabbath. And today we're looking at Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5, verse 26, and chapter 2, 1 to 3. This is a reading of God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. So reading of God's word, please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. This is a Sabbath, a day of rest, a day of restoration. And we come here because we need you. We need, we need your presence. We need your counsel. We need community. We need to be nourished. And I pray, God, that you would use this time to speak to your people through your servant. And I pray that, Lord, you would give us the ability to really not only understand, but to respond, to obey, to respond in faith and repentance and joy and gratitude. So I pray that this word would minister to us. Help us to begin anew uh, by your word, by your spirit, in obedience by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, if you just join us, we're starting a new series of sermons. As the new year kicks in, uh, we're starting a new series of sermons on the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath, it goes way back uh, to the Old Testament. It goes be- way back, actually, to the beginning of creation, we just read in our, in our scripture reading today. The Sabbath is an ancient practice. And in the Old Testament, the idea of Sabbath is a, a time where God sanctifies a day of rest for us to rest and to be restored. Uh, in the New Testament, the Sabbath changes. We're going to look at some of the changes in the upcoming sermons. And the Sabbath goes from Saturday to Sunday. Jesus resurrects on the Sunday. And the main themes of rest uh, continue. Throughout American history, most of American history, Americans celebrated the Sabbath. In the early Puritan communities, for instance, on the Sabbath or on Sunday, there was really nothing. There was just a silence in the community. Nobody worked. There wasn't even people playing. You didn't hear children screaming. They said all you can hear is the sound of people walking from church to their homes after service. A lot of, a lot of communities would just uh, break up into small groups. They would discuss the sermons together. Many other Puritan communities, after that, they went to lunch and they went back to church for another worship service. But the Sabbath, historically, was a day of relaxation. It was a day of reconnecting with what really matters in life. 
And the idea of Sabbath, though it's historic, it goes back from ancient times and American history, now the idea of Sabbath has largely been forgotten. People have largely forgotten about the idea of Sabbath. And throughout this sermon series, we want to talk about bringing the Sabbath back and recontextualizing it for our time and our moment. And my basic theme is that we need the Sabbath more than ever today. Um, today, we live in a time when so many people are overworked and ministering to so many of our people last year. That was a key thing as we kind of look to the year that I re- reoccurred time and again that so many people are exhausted, are overworked, are stressed, are anxious. Many people today believe that we live in an age of anxiety, especially when you look at surveys of younger people, especially millennials. Uh, they are off the charts in terms of the increase of anxiety and depression. More people than ever need this idea of Sabbath, of resting from all of our worries, all of our anxieties and our work, and to get back to what's really important. I think the Sabbath is a solution. It's a solution to our overwork. It's a solution to all of our anxieties. It brings us back to what's really important. So we're calling this series Soul Sabbath. And we are saying that the Sabbath includes the ideas of rest, of prayer, and healing. We need that. As we enter into the new year, we need an idea of what it means to really rest physically, spiritually, emotionally. We need to reconnect to God in prayer. And we need healing from our various wounds that we all carry. This morning, we're going to start off the series by going back, way back to the very beginning. And in Genesis 1, God gives us a template for not only resting, but also working. And we're looking at this idea that there is a rhythm to both work and rest. So as we start off the series, we want to look at how God gives us a vision for work, and He gives us a vision for rest. And we want to start with the idea of work, and the rhythm of work. We can't really understand rest until we first understand what work is and how we should work. Genesis, we're reading today, is the book of beginnings. It literally means the beginning. And I love Genesis because it gives us a picture of what it's all about. Why did God create us? Uh, Who is God? How does he relate to us? Genesis 1 gives us a picture of God. And that's the most important thing. The first sentence in Genesis in the entire Bible is, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the sentence. That's the opening line to the Bible. In the beginning, God. God is always the subject. In fact, the word God is all throughout this whole chapter. God dominates the opening chapter. Who is God according to Genesis 1? Well, in Genesis 1, God is bursting with life. With activity, he's speaking, he's creating, he's restoring, he's ordering. God is never silent, he's never inactive. He's always actively engaging, speaking, and creating. That's who God is. Here in Genesis 1, God creates the world in six days, and then he rests on the seventh. One big question that you should think about when you read that God created the world in six days and rest on the seventh is why? Why did God, why did it take God so long? Because God, according to the Bible, is infinite. He's almighty. He could have created the world in one second. But why does he create the world in six days? And secondly, maybe 
uh, more importantly, why does he need to rest? You know, if God is almighty, how come he needs a day off? You know, how come God needs to recharge his batteries? Like, what is that about? And the answer is that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, not because he had to, but because he wanted us, he wanted to give us a paradigm, a model for how we should work and how we should rest. God did that for us, for our benefits, uh, to teach us what it means to work and rest. God created us as his vice regents. The end of Genesis 1, we read about the creation of Adam and Eve, and they are created, it says, in God's image. That just like God reasons, he gave us a mind to reason, to think, but he also gave us a soul. He gave us the ability to have righteousness, to have morality, to have, uh, to have character, to be in his image, to be in his likeness. And he not only created us to be like him, but he also created us to do the things that God does. So just as God created the world in six days, he also calls us uh, to rule over his creation, to also create, to restore, to protect. This is verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. God gave Adam and Eve a mission. He said, just like I created the earth in six days, so I now charge you uh, to oversee all this creation, to work, to restore, to protect, to also create like I did, to follow in my footsteps as my vice regents. And so the six days, the God's working in six days, where he did that as a template for us. He gave us that so that we would have a model for us to work as well. So what, what are some templates? What are some principles for that? And the first is our work should be a reflection of God's beauty and his craftsmanship. Think about those six days that God created the world. And each day he creates something different. I love the BBC series. You've probably seen it, Planet Earth and Planet Earth 2. Uh, and it's, it's amazing when you get a new TV, like a 4K TV, watching those shows. And the brilliance of high resolution. And that BBC series takes you through the mountains, the waters, the plains, the jungles. And you get to a spectacular view of all of God's creation from a, the smallest beetle to a mountain lion to the majestic mountains of Mount Everest. And all of creation, all the earth is filled with beauty, with brilliance. It's intricately designed. And what God is saying, when we follow in God's footsteps, it means that we are, we are also to work in a way that reflects the same beauty, creativity, and excellence of God's work. When we work, we're also called to imitate that first work of God in creation. Uh, one good example of that is a man named James Tuffican. Uh, and he shares his testimony. He built a successful rug company. Uh, he had factories in Nepal. And he was really wrestling with his faith and how... 
his faith related to his work in the company that he built. And one of the things that he decided to do was he decided to rebuild his company in a way that reflected God's kingdom and his values. So for all of his factory workers in Nepal, he decided that he was going to pay them a living wage. He was not going to hire any underage people. And in that industry in Nepal, it was rampant with underage workers. He said, I will not do that. I'm going to pay my workers a living wage. I'm also going to provide all of my workers, their children, a free education, a Montessori education, a high-quality education. And as he reflected on the kinds of products he wanted to build, he said his mission was this, we will make beautiful things of lasting value. He says, I want to build and make beautiful products of lasting value. And he says that came from reading Genesis 1, the text we just read. And he said, he realized God doesn't make junk. And he says, if God doesn't make junk, I'm not making junk. You know, I also want to build beautiful things of lasting value. He says in his industry, he could have went the way of building very cheap rugs with very under under, uh, age workers, paying them as little as possible and building shoddy products which would fall apart in a few years. He says, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. God doesn't make that kind of junk. I'm not going to make that. And his vision became building beautiful things of lasting value. And he reflected that in the way he treated his workers and the products that he made. When we work, our work should reflect God's beauty and his craftsmanship as well. But secondly, God's six days of creation shows us the limitations of work. Notice that God creates something different on each day. Day one, God creates the light. Day two, the atmosphere. Day three, ground and planets. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day five, birds and sea animals. Day six, land animals and hurricane, uh, and humans rather. Hurricanes as well, probably created that somewhere. Uh, but he creates humans on the sixth day. The crown of his creation, he saves that best for last, made in his image. And it's interesting because God, he doesn't multitask. You know, I have a daughter and she is a master. She's only 11. She's a master multitasker. She is watching a video on her iPad while simultaneously playing a game and texting her friends. She's doing all of that at one time. She's doing everything at once. Her brain is scattered in multiple directions. And most of us are master multitaskers. But think about what God is doing. Every day, he has one singular focus. He doesn't have to. But he's, he has one singular focus each and every day. And each day, he's making something of excellence, of beauty, of great work. And it gives us a perspective of how we should work. Or work needs to have a healthy rhythm. God doesn't have an 80-hour work week. He doesn't try to cram everything into one day. He could have. He could have crammed everything of creation into one singular day, multitasked, done all of that. But what does God do? He's giving us a pattern that we should have a rhythm in our work, that our work should be singularly focused and excellent. Uh... God's pattern shows us how we should not overwork. We should not overwork. It gives us a rhythm that we should have enough time in our day. God creates one thing every day, and after it, he says each time, it is good. 
You know, a good sign that our work is in rhythm is that we have enough time and space to create something excellent. And at the end of the day, we should be able to say, that was good. You know, that that thing that I made, that project I'm working on, that's good. I did good stuff there. And if you don't have time for that, it, it might be a sign that you are overworked. You're not producing something of excellence. You know, there's uh, one idea that's catching on in a lot of industries is the shortened work week. Uh, some company and some uh, industries are scaling back the work week, uh, sometimes from five days to four days, sometimes scaling back the hours. And the idea is that often when we scale down the work week, we can work in a more focused way. Uh, we can work in a more excellent way. We can avoid burnout and fatigue. We can focus all of our time and resources in a way that is productive. And that gives us a perspective of how we should work. Our work should have a rhythm. It should have a pace that allows us to work excellently, uh, but in a sustainable way. Our work should never be at odds with our body or family or our spirituality. God, we should have, we should be able to work in an excellent way and at the end of our day, feel satisfied with it. God was so happy and satisfied with his work. Uh, Genesis 1 gives us a paradigm for work uh, that is true to our faith, that is true to our body, that is true to our spirituality, that is excellent and testifies to the enduring worth of our King. But the ultimate solution to overwork is not just finding a rhythm to our work, but this is the second and final thing, is finding a rhythm to our rest. We need a rhythm in work, six days, having time and space to do excellent work and having enough time to, to evaluate it and rejoice in it. But the second thing is that we also need a rhythm of rest. In Genesis 1, we see that on the seventh day, God rests. This is verse 1 to 3 in Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth was finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It says that it's... Interesting because in the Bible, most of the time when God blesses, he blesses people, blesses Abraham. Sometimes he blesses nations. But here, the first thing that God blesses was a day. He blesses one day and he gives that day VIP status. You know, the word holy, it says he made it holy. Holy means to be set apart, that it's not like the other days. It's given its own status, its own uh privileges it's to be set apart the things that you do on that day the sabbath is not like the things you do on the other days what is the sabbath why did god give us a sabbath the sabbath was given to us as a day of liberation sabbath was a day of ceasing from our labors and in the sabbath we realize that our lives are not about work our lives are not about we are not defined by what we do Sabbath was a day of liberation to know who we are, where we're going, what's really important in life. Uh, there's a journalist, journalist, her name is Judith Schulwitz. She wrote an article called Bring Back the Sabbath. 
And this is what she says. The Sabbath provides two things essential to anyone who wishes to lift himself out of the banality of the mercantile culture. Two things. Time to contemplate and distance from everyday demands. The Sabbath is to the weak what the line break is to poetic language. It is the silence that forces you to return to what came before to find its meaning. Shobit says that the idea of Sabbath gives us time to contemplate, distance from everyday demands. Things are flying at us Monday to Saturday. Things that we need to do, a to-do list, emails, texts. It's coming at us. We don't have time to contemplate what's important. And she says that Sunday, the Sabbath, is a time out. It's time to say, hey, what is this really about? What's really important? So many, much of our time is focusing on what's ahead. Sabbath, this is time to focus on what's above us. It's a time to remember. It's a time to reconnect. And we need an everyday Sabbath, a rhythm of Sabbath in our own life. One woman that I know has her own ritual on Sunday. She says, Sundays, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to have breakfast with my boyfriend. She eats out with her boyfriend. She reconnects with him. Secondly, she goes to worship service uh, to hear the scriptures, to worship with God's people. And she says, in the afternoon, I exercise. She goes to a spin class or she exercises. And she says, I turn off my cell phone. I don't answer work emails. I refuse to do those two things. And then she says, I protect it. Because there are all kinds of enemies coming to take my Sabbath away from me. Trying to steal my Sabbath. And she says, no, I'm going to protect that. I'm going to protect my Sabbath. And make sure I got time for those three things. To connect with people. To connect with God and reconnect with myself in many ways. To make sure I'm healthy spiritually. I'm healthy physically. I'm healthy relationally. She has a Sabbath. When you think about it in Genesis 1, it takes place before the fall. Think about that. Even before the fall, Adam Eve, and Eve are commanded to rest. This is when everything was perfect. Even in a perfect world, we still need rest. How much more do we need rest in a broken world? You know, in Genesis 3, everything falls apart. Adam and Eve turn their back on God. They forget God. They try to be their own God. That's what sin is. Sin is playing God. Like, no, I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to live for me. Turn their back on God. They are their own God, and everything falls apart. When you don't have a center, everything falls apart. You don't, you're trying to figure it all out. Everything falls apart without God at the center. And what, what happens is God curses them. In Genesis 3, God tells Adam that the ground will be cursed and will bring forth thorns and thistles. God curses Adam's work. He says, Adam, you're still called to work. You're still called to be productive. But when you work the ground... You're going to get some crops, but they're also going to be thorns and thistles. It's going to be difficult. You're going to sweat. It's going to be, it's going to be imperfect. You're going to come across all these problems and misunderstanding. Eve's work is also cursed. Uh, she has a painful childbirth. And it's, it's literal, but it's also metaphorical. 
that the home is going to be a place of pain, a place of tragedy, that our family will be filled with tensions, with misunderstanding, with jealousy. After Genesis 3, everything is upside down. The workplace now is going to be a place where there's backbiting, there's gossip, there's misunderstanding, there's inefficiencies. That work will be done, but it's going to be difficult to work. Work is going to be cursed. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be demanding. We're going to make work our God in many instances. Work's going to drive our life. Work is going to take the place of the ultimate thing. We're going to exploit people. We're going to be driven by it. It's going to be all-consuming. Family's going to be broken. It's going to be filled with envy, of misunderstanding, of drift, of divorce, of infidelity. If Adam and Eve, when you think about Adam and Eve, if they needed to rest in a perfect world, how much more so in a broken world? How much more so do we need rest? Throughout each week we battle. We're going to battle. We battle at work. So many of us are frustrated with work, with our coworkers, with our bosses, wanting to, to find another job. We're frustrated with our family life. It's difficult in our marriages with our children. And because of all of that, more than ever, we need rest. You know, all throughout uh, the Old Testament, the Sabbath was on a Saturday, and I alluded to this right at the beginning. But in the first century, the Sabbath started to shift. And the idea of Sabbath became to be celebrated on Sunday. And why is that? Uh, in Matthew 12, uh, Jesus surprises everyone in the way he celebrates Sabbath. He uh, plucks grain from a field and eats it. Uh, he heals a man who is broken. And the religious leaders are really upset because, man, they're breaking all these rules about the Sabbath. You, you're working. You're doing things. That's not the way Sabbath should be celebrated or observed. And Jesus turns the Sabbath into a celebration. That's interesting. This one of the nuances, the wrinkles we're going to look at. Jesus transforms this religious ritual into a celebration. Why does he do that? What is he saying by, by that? Matthew 12, verse 8, he says, Jesus says something stunning. This is a stunner of an observation. And Matthew 12, verse 8, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's a mind-blowing statement. Jesus says, the Sabbath, I'm the king of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about me. It's an astonishing statement. Jesus is saying, I am the Sabbath. Sabbath is ultimately, finally, about who I am and what I'm going to do. We are all desperate for the Sabbath because all of us are broken people. We're so stressed. We're so anxious. We're so driven. There's so much on our plate. And we wonder about the meaning of it all. And Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus says, I will give you Sabbath. I will take all of your anxieties and pains and frustrations upon myself. In John chapter 19, uh, in, a, in a very last thing that Jesus said, on the cross as he's dying is he says these words it is finished why does Jesus say that and what Jesus is saying when he says it is finished he's saying I've done all the work for you 
in my life. I have come to live a perfect life, obey every religious thing for you, every law and commandment. I've come to take your punishment on the cross. And in me, it is done. All you need is to rest in me. I am your righteousness. I am your salvation. I am your Sabbath. And Christianity is all about resting in Jesus, in his righteousness, in his perfections. Jesus resurrected three days later from the grave on a Sunday. And that's why from the first century on, Christians started to worship on Sunday because they believed Jesus was a true Sabbath. What it means to truly rest is to rest in Jesus. On Sunday, we realize we're not defined by a work. We're not defined by how much we make or what we do. But on Sunday, we say, Jesus May you done it all for me. You are my worth. You are my beauty. You are my hope. You are my future. And that's what it means to observe a holy Sabbath. Sabbath is a celebration of Jesus. It's a resting in him. It's redefining ourselves, finding our identity in Christ. That's what the Sabbath is about. And we definitely need that in our culture today. The calling then is to have a new rhythm for work and rest. We just celebrated a new year. Uh, so many of us made resolutions. A lot of you guys have already broken those resolutions. We're only five days in, but some of you have already broken those resolutions. And we all had that experience of making resolutions. But really, the key way to change is not one moment, one new year, one resolution. But the key to change is having a new rhythm to life, having a new liturgy for life. Changing your habits. And as we start the year, think about what are some new rhythms or habits I can have for work. That I can work in a focused way, in an excellent way, to have time and space for it. How can I have a new rhythm for rest? What does that mean for my life to have? How can I have a holy Sabbath? What does that mean? What is a new routine I can get into on Sunday mornings? Uh, whether it is meeting with people, whether it is coming early to worship, whether it's setting aside time for people to connect with people, how can you develop a new liturgy for life, a new rhythm of work and rest? And that's something we want to discuss in our community groups this coming week, that we want to discuss with our spouses, with our friends. How can I develop new habits, new routines, a new liturgy? As we close, I want to take one final look at Jesus, Jesus' life and how he lived. I love the story of Luke 8, Luke chapter 8, and I've mentioned it frequently, where Jesus is on a boat, and as the boat is going along with his disciples, he falls asleep, and there's a storm. Jesus' disciples are startled, and they wake Jesus up. And one of the things that I often have missed for most of my life about that story in Luke 8, I've always missed this idea. Uh, that Jesus took a nap. Jesus took naps. You know, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? I've never really thought about that. Jesus took naps. You know, if there was anyone who who skipped naps, it would be Jesus. Like Jesus, his mission was literally to save the world. He had the world on his shoulder. If anyone did not have time for naps, it should have been Jesus. But he got things to do. He He got to save the world. But Jesus said, I'm taking a nap. 
Like in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is taking, that's something he regularly did. It's interesting, and I love it because I think it's kind of hilarious. In Luke chapter 8, when his disciples wake him up, Jesus is really upset. He's like, ah, that was a good nap. Like, why are you waking me up for this little storm? It's like when my kids wake me up from my nap on Sundays. I take naps on Sundays. Sometimes they wake me up. They're like, Dad, uh, help me download this app on my iPad. I'm like, you woke me up for that? Come on now. I love my naps. You better be dying if you're waking me up right now. You know, I love naps. But one of the ideas is that Jesus took naps. You know, he rested. He had time. You know, one of the interesting things to look at, Jesus study the Gospels this year. Jesus always had time for people. Last week I talked about when Jesus was talking to someone, it was like there was the only people in the room. Jesus had a lot on his plate, but he had time for everybody, for people to talk with him. Jesus was never rushed. He was never in a hurry. In the Gospel of John, people are always trying to tell Jesus what to do. They want, they want to do crazy, miraculous things all the time. And Jesus would always say to them, my hour has not yet come. He would always say to them, I'm going to die one day, but not today. That he, he didn't try to accomplish his whole mission in one day. He's like, I just got a few things today that I'm going to focus on, including taking a nap. I mean, Jesus had time for himself. He had time for people. He had time, of course, to pray, to be in the presence of God. He lived unrushed, unhurried. And to follow Jesus means to follow him in the same way. He had a rhythm in his life. He had a peace in his life. He was not anxious. He was not one thing to the next. He had time to do everything in God's time, to do it really well, to do it in an unhurried way, and to stay back. And say, it is good. And at the end of his life, he says, it is finished. And to follow Jesus means to follow him, to have a new rhythm, a new routine, to live life unhurried, to live a life of love, to connect with God our Father, to connect with his people, so that we can live the rest of our life to the glory of God. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for a Sunday to rest and Lord, we come here with so many anxieties and so much uncertainty about this year. And I thank you that you give us a day to pause. Thank you for this day to remember that we are not our job. We're not, uh, we are not our to-do list, but we are your children and help us to be free. Teach us what it means to observe a Sabbath where we can remember we are free, that we are loved, that we are your children. Uh, Remove from us anxiety and guilt. Give to us a heart of worship. Help us to look up to you, to realize you are the Lord of creation and you are a redeemer. And everything that we have left undone, you have done. Pray that we would understand that this is the day that you have made and help us to rejoice and be glad in it. 
We give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.